You're listening to a Reykjavik Grapevine podcast. Icelanders are the smartest people in the world. We'll leave it at that. No, they found America, but had the good sense to lose it again. So goes the saying attributed to Oscar Wilde. Well, we didn't really. It was our cousins in Greenland. And of course, it was hardly discovered as it was already inhabited. But still, why didn't the Vikings settle in North America? They already had, in lands as distant as modern Ukraine and Russia, and the inhospitable Atlantic islands of Iceland and Greenland. Why stop there? What if the Viking colony in what is now Canada would have survived, even prospered? In order to get such an outcome, we must first get people to want to leave Iceland in large numbers in order to head out west. And as it happened, at that very time, a civil war was indeed brewing in Iceland. And it was all because of a new religion. So, uh, welcome to the Alternative History of Iceland, part two. What if Icelanders had colonized North America? Uh, we're here today uh, with Valur Gunnarsson, the historian, and me, myself, Jón Trusti, the semi-historian. <laughs> and Valur, uh, Icelanders colonizing North America, was that ever even possible? Well, to answer that, we must first go back to the very beginning of Iceland. And in fact, to answer that, we must go back to the beginning of Norway, beginning of Norway? Well, as legend has it, and we are mostly dealing with legends here, a man by the name of Harald Fairhair wanted to unify all of Norway, which at that time consisted of many small kingdoms. He wanted to do all this to impress a woman. Apparently his hair wasn't impressive enough. Uh, And she had said that only if he was king of all of Norway would she marry him. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like uh, she was trying to get out of the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but little did she know <laughs> that he, in fact, uh, in around 872, managed to win a battle in uh, Havrsfjörður, uh, close to Stavanger in, in southwestern Norway, uh-huh. uh, whereby he defeated all his enemies and, and became king of all of Norway. And again, according to legend, the people who did not want to go along with this, who did not want to be ruled by one king, but wanted to be independent people, um, set off for a newly discovered country called Iceland. Yeah, by often by way of, of what, Scotland and Ireland and the Northern Hebrides and then... Indeed. Yeah. Many of them did stop by or even lived in uh, the Orkneys and Shetlands for even a generation, intermarried um, or took slaves. And so... Iceland is inhabited by uh, by both Norse and by Celts from the British Isles. Isn't this where we get our like joke about like Icelanders being tax evaders? That you know, a king meant taxes, and they left because they didn't want to pay taxes. It's fundamental to a national identity. Yes, <laughs> we still tax evade as much as we can. As much as we can, we we try our best. But yeah, yeah it's uh, it's the only honorable. Um, you know, thing to do as a, never mind. Unless you want fantastic social services, then you pay your taxes <laughs> like the Norwegians do and the Scandinavians. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we're, we're kind of like bastard Scandinavians for the, because of this. Yes. So, uh, so this is the founding myth of Iceland, which traditionally set in 874. Mm-hmm. Uh, many historians will point out that it's not literally true, but this is what we, we sort of believe. Or, or taught, and um, and it is, it's also sort of what we have from our written sources on, on the period, yes. the the book of settlement. Yes, who, who were probably trying to show that they were just as, as good as the Norwegians, even though they they left. And anyway, um, the whole idea was to not have a king, and so people had to decide, you know, how how do we go about evading our taxes if there's no king, <laughs> or forming some sort of government weren't really any taxes at the time. Um, and they eventually decided to have a parliament, 
it's based on a local parliament in Norway, but one for the whole country. And they scouted around and they decided to to have it in Thingvellir. Yeah, founded in, if I remember correctly, from grammar school in, in 930. Yes. So a few decades after the first settlers arrived, according to legend. Yeah, by which time Iceland was seen as fully settled. And thankfully for, for our purposes today, this uh, first parliament was exactly at the spot where North America and Europe meet. And you can really see the crack there. It's very impressive to look at today as it was back then. And it's a very popular tourist spot. Yeah, I was trying to explain this to my kids just last weekend because we drove past Tinkutlir, that it it was like that these two plates were separating slowly. But uh, it was hard for them to get, get their heads around how slowly it's separating. Mm. Yeah, Iceland is growing by about two centimeters a year, but then there's erosion, but, you know, slowly we are growing. I hope. Yeah, slowly. So anyway, um, uh, so it goes for, for 70 years. Um, People meet at Parliament for two weeks in the summer in, in June, and, and issues are debated, and weddings are arranged, scores are settled, the market is held, and so on. Uh, but in 995, uh, a new king arrives in Norway. And by that point, Norway has fallen apart again. Again, there were many small kings uh, fighting with each other, and now there is a new one who has become rich from raiding England called Olaver Tryggvason, or, or Crowbone, sort of like that. It's called Crowbone. Crowbone. Apparently that's a Danish slur, because he was seen uh, or known to to uh, worship the old gods with uh, Crowbones by sacrificing them. I don't know the specifics, but it's some sort of spell. So, so it's nothing like the Romans who would like sacrifice chickens to figure out whether or not they were going to win a battle or something? Nah, I don't know. I, I don't know. The... Um, there is a story about him uh, uh, meeting a wise man in England who prophesizes that he actually will win a battle. And then when he does, he asks, how did you know? And this man points out, that I believe in Jesus Christ and God Almighty. And that's why I know things. And, and he is so impressed that he actually adopts Christianity, according to legend. No more crows. No, but we'll still call him Crowbone because it just sounds kind of fun. Yeah, it's also a nice way of distinguishing him from all the other Olafs. Olafs. Yes, there was one in last episode, but he comes later. This is this is first. Yeah. Yes, we are in nine nine five. We're in nine nine five. And and Olaf, the king of Norway. Olaf wants to be king of Norway. Who wants to be the king of Norway? Goes. He's coming home, and this time he's not. He, and he is not only unifying all of Norway. But he is also Christianizing the place. All right. Uh, which, That's an added layer to Fairhair's tactics. Yeah. Uh, and uh, probably more likely to work because when Fairhair died, the whole thing sort of fell apart after a while. But with the church, there is you know, a structure. They can collect taxes, for example. And yeah, they, they can write things down. And they can, and they can do all sorts of things too. Bureaucracy. Yeah. Organization. All the things you need for a modern state in the 10th century. All the things we came here to avoid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he basically gives people a choice, convert or die. All right. And they... Um, Very Christian. Yeah, uh, it kind of was in those days. A lot, of, a lot of them do convert. Others do die. He, um, he has uh, various... Um, original ways to go about this. He has uh, men swallow uh, worms or snakes until they die. There are actually snakes in Norway. They're small and, and, and mostly harmless and completely. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those uh, in Sweden too. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, there are no snakes in Iceland. No. Um, so how do you Christianize a country with no snakes? If you can't... Uh, Four choke feet. people, yeah, four feet them to people and, and, and choke them to death. Well, this was uh, a question um, because Olaf Trikoson, once he had sort of for a while attained his goal of Christianizing Norway, he um, of course wanted to Christianize Iceland too, which is independent but still sort of within his sphere of, of interest. And yeah, he, a lot of trade going on between the two places. Yeah, and Iceland would be. 
very, very difficult to be cut off from Norwegian harbors. Um, and there are a lot of Icelanders in Norway and Hindi takes them as hostages and, and threatens to do bad things to them if Icelanders do not convert. And uh, for the Icelanders in Iceland, who at that time are still largely pagan, but there are there is a good number of Christians, uh, they have to sort of decide what to do because these Christians are on the move. Now they are demanding that everybody worships their God, whereas previously you could sort of choose. And, um, and there is, of course, always the threat that the Norwegians might even invade or might do various bad things unless uh, Iceland becomes Christian too. So it's a bit of a hostage situation. It is, uh, among other things. But maybe that's the... <laughs> That's not, not the main thing. Maybe it is the main thing for for uh, all all these um, powerful men in Iceland whose sons are now uh, hostage to. Yeah, I mean that's generally like what, that's uh, that's generally what when the who which Icelander like the the Icelanders in Norway in those centuries uh, from the ninth century and onwards tended to be sons of prominent men or yeah. prominent men. Yeah, I mean like it, the ruling class. It was the rich who traveled. Yeah, like uh, yeah, like before Easy Jet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless you, unless you got a job on a, on a waiting ship, you could travel for for, but you had to work for it. Yeah. So, um, but there's no king in Iceland. Usually, and it is the king who decides one way or another what people should believe in Northern and Eastern Europe. So it was Althingi's t- point uh, turn to uh, figure this one out. Yeah. So they they had to meet. Um, probably in the year 1000, uh, maybe 999, um, to decide what to do. And, of course, Christians want everyone to be Christian, the pagans want everyone to be pagan. There is a civil war probably brewing. Yeah, just like in Norway. Uh, yeah, which had happened there. And then something, I think, completely unique almost in the annals of, of Christianity happens. They decide to compromise so they they go to the wisest man in the land who is uh, Thorgeir uh, who is the law speaker his job was to remember all the law and then every year he would recite a third of it he would also then be the the, the only state employee if I remember correctly yeah which is uh, which reminds me that uh, I think it was Milton Friedman who who liked to uh, to, to like to he liked to uh, refer to Iceland in that period as sort of like a a model for for neoliberal states where where you had only one state employee yeah and uh, and 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 all um executive power was didn't really exist so uh, you had to do your own policing or or you had to bring your own cases to court or you if you wanted a result from a court case, you had to like pursue it yourself. There was nobody uh, that could wield any force on your behalf. No. If Milton Friedman would have read the sagas, uh, he would have seen that there's a lot of murdering there. I guess if Milton Friedman would have read a lot of things, things he thought about, <laughs> he would have thought about them differently. Yeah, he, he would have wanted to move to Norway and pay taxes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now we have the law speaker, we have the beginning of Icelandic bureaucracy. Uh, but anyway, he has gets the job of deciding what religion everyone should believe in. And he does um, the sensible thing when you're faced with a big decision. He went straight to bed. Yeah, smart. And there he covered himself up with his skins for, for three days. Some people say that he, he even left his body in a shamanistic way while he was thinking about this. And it has to be noted that he was himself a pagan, hmm. but still, people uh, trusted him to to uh, make a decision uh, on everyone's behalf. So, so he took a three-day nap at all, thinking while the rest of the ruling class was just waiting around. Yeah, sharpening their swords and <laughs> <laughs> seeing what would happen. Um, a prima donna. Mm, well, yeah, he had a flair for the dramatic. Actually, seems to be. Yeah. So he gets up on the on the stage at Loberg, which uh, yeah, where the law speaker would would sort of recite the law, yeah, where everybody could hear him, yeah, and they have good acoustics there. If you if you if you have been there, like every Icelandic person had more than once, you know, there there's a big sort of rock wall behind it, and and 
And everyone could hear what he said. Yeah. And what he said was that he had reached a decision. He said that if we do not have one law, we will tear each other apart. The country will be torn apart. There will be the end of peace. So we should all have one law. So that was the first part of his decision, that one law for everyone. I guess at that point, point like both sides were going like, yep, that's that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Pagans going like, okay. Christians going like, okay. And then the pagans were deeply disappointed when their guy decided that everyone should be Christian. Oh, shit. And this would have been a, a great time to start a civil war, except he said that there would be three exceptions. That um, you could still eat horse meat, which was a big deal to the pagans. Yeah, it's a big deal to me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess I could do without, but it was in, in Norway. There are all these accounts of, of Odin coming and tricking Christian people to eat horse meat because that would be renouncing their faith. Faith and and one of the kings he had to eat horse meat in order to show that he was still pagan, even though he wasn't. And, and yeah, it is it is peculiar that once we did start, like I guess I remember in the nineties, people started eating horse meat, like you know, regularly. You could get like you know horse goulash or stuff like that mm. but it was still something like if you, you put it in like a in a goulash mm. and then you wouldn't tell anybody <laughs> and if somebody asked you like, go like it, it's horse meat mm. so I wonder whether that shame comes from from like uh, hundreds of years of of thinking that eating horse meat is wrong perhaps yeah, I, uh, I mean uh, there wasn't that much meat to be had nice and later on but at this point um, the pagans are still allowed to, actually everyone is still allowed to eat horse meat because that's an exception to the rule. The other exception is not quite as nice, which is that uh, you can still carry out your babies. That is, if you have babies you don't like, you just take them out and leave them there, which is sort of uh, abortion. Yeah, 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 that is, that's bad. Yeah, Christians sort of saw it as bad, but uh, it was seen as, I don't know, fundamental in a, in a poor country. Anyway, that was one of the uh, exceptions, um, whether we like it or not. And the third one was quite interesting, which was that you could still worship the old gods as long as no one found out about it. Okay. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. it's one way to put it. That's. But it's smart. So nobody's really... Like everybody's sort of allowed to continue, but discreetly. So obviously, with time, uh, the religion that is that it, that you're allowed to talk about will obviously win over the rest of the country. Yeah, and that is what did happen. But yeah. maybe at the time, people didn't see it that clearly. They just thought, okay, we can go along this with this. We can still sort of do what we were doing anyway, and we keep the peace. And and so they agreed to it. So they were taken to. Oksarau, which is the, the river. river. That, yeah, that runs through the uh, Altengi. Yeah, but it's a, it's a glacial river. It comes down from the glacier, and it's terrifyingly cold. So a lot of uh, people... So, so is every other like body of water in Thinkwitlid. Yes. So, Racing. Yes. Uh, you know, if you if you fall into the water, you have like two minutes or something before you, you become catatonic and you drown. Yeah. So, in order to sweeten the pill a bit more, a lot of people were taken to Legavat. Ooh, my home, well, village. Yeah, you, you sort of grew up there. Now it's a spa and it's a nice, you know, geothermally heated pool. And then, yeah, before that, like when I grew up, the the there's, I mean, there's a lot of hot water there, and there was a sauna located in a building that had been erected at Thinkvellir to celebrate the thousand years of of Althingi. In 9.30, it was then moved to Lovat, and they, uh, that's where you would change. And then you would walk out to these two, like they had two sauna um, cells, kind of, with a door on them, that were just erected directly on top of the uh, the hot spring. And I loved that place. And then they tore it down and built like this nice sauna, which is fine, I guess, yeah. modernity and everything. Yeah, but, but in any case, the... Legavat, which means pool, lake, is called that because it is one of the few naturally heated 
bodies of water in Iceland, and it's actually really pleasant. So if you're going to dedicate your your body and your soul to God, it's a much nicer place to do it than yeah. in the glacial waters of, of Thingvellir. So that was that. That was the how so, so Iceland the, became Christian. And this is how we ne- never had a, uh, a religious civil war. Yes, exactly. And and in fact, at that time, uh, in fact, in the same year, Olav Trekoson Krobon was killed in uh, Swalder, probably in northern Poland. Um, so he, he, and it took another 30 years and another Olav Frodovi to become Christian. But Iceland became Christian at this point without shedding any blood, which is quite a remarkable, remarkable feat. Yeah. A discussion, and some people say maybe even to this day is why we are not particularly religious. We don't go to church a lot, but we sort of, you know, we're all mostly formally Christian, but it's not really a big deal. No, yeah, I mean, I guess this, like, uh, I think this this uh, peaceful transition has been discussed as like the reason why we were able to preserve the sort of memory of the old ways and then subsequently write them down, whereas the rest of Scandinavia more or less lost all of their memory of that. Yeah, that's one theory, because it is something of a mystery why Iceland, which was sort of poor and marginal, why it had the best literature and why all the sagas, the stories of the kings, the stories of the gods and all this, why it was written down in Iceland. And this is one theory that in uh, Norway, Crowbone had them all murdered. He had them tied to rocks, and then when the tide came in, they drowned. These were all the wise men and everyone who knew. Oh, what a, kill, kill all the intelligentsia. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So, uh, it's been done since, but it was, it was done very effectively in Norway. Since then, they hadn't, hadn't had any sort of intelligentsia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may be back now, but but uh, that's one theory as to why they, the Icelandic uh, literature was was better in the in the centuries yeah then at the same time like i think snorri sturdson uh studied under was it jon loftson in otte who was a son of a princess and she so jon loftson probably like studied like learned everything he knew down in konkahetla the old capital of the norwegian kings in what is now almost gothenburg Mm. uh it has to be said, you studied in Gothenburg, so you're probably going to be yeah, trying that, to bring that's, that's that into. A, that's, a, that's true. That's a very Gothenburg, <laughs> Gothenburg-centric. Uh, no, no, it, it was all Iceland. They had all Sweet, Iceland. Sweet, Never mind Sweden. Sweden, 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 Sweden had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Norwegians will tell you that actually they're Norwegian because they're Norwegian stories. But, you know, I'm a writer. Yeah, yeah. Writer. They also tell, tell us that uh, Leif the Lucky is Norwegian. We will get to him we'll get to later, but um, but all right. Uh, but so this is how Iceland became peacefully Christian. But what if it hadn't? What if civil war had in fact broken out? Yeah. What if? So uh, we talked about how Olo Trikoson, uh the Viking pirate, became Christian. And then uh, attempted to become the king, or became the king of Norway and Christianized Norway. Uh, then uh, took hostages and forced Iceland to uh, ask the question whether or not they should become Christians. And then we saw how Iceland became Christian in a very um, peaceful way. Settlement was re- reached and civil war was avoided. And then... Uh, Iceland stayed Christian while Norway dove back into chaos somehow. And uh, but but this begs the question: What if Iceland had not reached a, a settlement? What if a subsequent civil war had broken out between the uh, two factions, Christians and pagans? What would then have happened, Valdor? Yeah, and it is actually a very reasonable question because this is what happened in, in most other places, notably Norway. And there was actually no particular reason for the pagans to agree to this or even for the two sides to agree that this one guy should should decide um, and that they would abide by what he said. So No, no, but, but they, they said, it, you know, we'll, we'll do this and go back to just normal blood feuding like, like always, hence the sires. Yeah, well, actually, most of the sagas said before Christianity. There is there is sort of a Sorry. peaceful period 
after Christianization, because every, everyone can, can live with this for a while. But if we, uh, um, if we imagine that they would not have reached an agreement, that a civil war would have broken out. And there are about 60,000 people living in Iceland at this time. I don't know. There were more pagans probably, but let's assume that the sites are more or less evenly matched. And uh, in a small country, as in some big countries too, people have long memories. So anyone who gets killed, there would be a blood feud because then you have to kill. If somebody kills one of your relatives, you have to kill either him or just one of his relatives. It doesn't even have to be the same person. No, no, that's true. But this, just some relative. Yeah, but of, of equal stature. So if somebody kills your slave, you have to kill their slave. Somebody kills your cousin, you have to kill their cousin. But if you kill their son, then you're sort of you're getting ahead of yourself. Yeah, you're, but you're describing the plot in every Icelandic saga, basically. Yeah, but the, this would have been on a much larger scale, much more as did actually happen in the 13th century. So over 200 years later, we actually this did happen. There was a civil war of sorts which went on for generations. Yeah, and led to us becoming Norwegian subjects eventually. Yeah. When we... Couldn't really manage this ourselves anymore. Yeah, because there was no executive power as Milton Friedman would have wanted. This is what happens. Things, uh, everybody starts killing each other. It's like the purge, you know, <laughs> but just for decades. But here, those things that happened in the 13th century could have happened sooner, first and foremost. And they might have become even more bloody because now, you know, everybody has God on their side or, you know, half the people have God on their side. And yeah, the other... Uh, the <laughs> other half has a lot of gods. Yeah, who actually uh, will, will let you go to Allah if you get killed in battle. So there's, you know... Uh, an incentive. So there's an incentive for both sides to just, just uh, go on murdering. But... I still think, even if the pagans were more numerous, I don't think that there's any doubt who would have won in the long run. No, like everywhere else, it's like going to be the Christians, yeah. eventually. Yeah, they were just... Um, uh, time was on their side. In a way, it's uh, very hard to imagine an Icelandic pagan holdout. And, of course, ultimately, the Christians could have called on some powerful friends in Norway, even though Norway was a mess at this time, but after... Even if you imagine this would have gone on for 30 years, ultimately the, there is going to be a Christian king in Norway who might use the opportunity, as he did later, to, to intervene and to save Christianity, which is good, um, you know, become a saint or whatever, and also maybe add Iceland to the Norwegian domain. True. But uh, say, so let's imagine we would have had a bloody civil war and the pagans would have, you know, slowly but surely been on the losing side. Greenland had, had already been found and settled by uh, the year 1000. Mm -hmm. So one can imagine, like, you know, you've, you've seen Scandinavians moving into north of Scotland, into Ireland, into the Hebrides, into Orkney, the Shetlands, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, now Greenland. Mm -hmm. And then... And no. then, then what? And then you continue. Yeah. Well, let's let's look at this. I mean, the president is there, first of all. People left Norway to avoid a new new order. Yeah. And to Iceland. So, you know, the president was there that you just go somewhere else if, you, if you're on the losing side. And... Um, yeah, pack all the sheep on the boat and leave. Yeah. And at this time, um, unlike later, Iceland still had its own ships um, because there are no trees here. And, and after a while, it became impossible to, to keep the ships going. But um, the ships would have been available. And it was only 15 years earlier that 25 ships left for Greenland. Um, only about half made it. Oops. Uh, so it's not very far to Greenland, but it's a rough crossing. Uh, but they did set up... Uh, a settlement there, which uh, went on to survive for about 400 years. Um, uh, Eric the Red was the founder, um, who was pagan, but his wife was not, and apparently refused to sleep with him. But they, they, uh, but I think he stuck to his beliefs. But anyway, yeah, where the pagans could have gone there, maybe, but maybe it would have been a, a Christian. Settlement, they might not have been welcome. They could have taken it over, but let's assume 
there are thousands of them. You know, Greenland at that time, Southern Greenland could maybe have 5,000 people subsisting. So if you have a few thousand more, or even 5,000, then there's more, they, they would have been impossible. They, I mean, there were parts of Norway that were still pagan, uh, but uh, not much land available. Maybe they could have, someone could have gone to the British Isles, um, which would, would have been popular, would have long been a popular place to try to settle. But Christianity was encroaching on the British Isles as well. Most of the Viking descendants were being converted. Yeah, yeah, they could have, I guess they could have gone there, but uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't, land wasn't readily available there either. No. But to make the world safe for paganism, ideally, you would want a completely new land where there was no white crest or, or his followers trying to convert you or force feed you snakes or, or any of that Christian stuff. Yeah, so, well, as we know, uh, Eric the Rat's son, Leiver, mm -hmm. uh, he is credited with finding uh, North America or Vinland, land of wine. Yeah, thankfully, a new land was just being discovered, according yeah. to legend, even in that same year, although that may have been the year 1000, you know, big things have to happen in the year 1000. Like, remember 2000 when, when the aliens came and the computers collapsed and then the, everything just changed and, oh wait, no, anyway. Yeah, nothing happened, I remember that. Yeah, but in the year 1000, however, Iceland became Christian and a new land was discovered west of Greenland. Although I can tell you that I, I drove from Loewa. Okay to Reykjavik with my friend in like our finest uh, suits to watch the fireworks. They were pretty amazing that, that year. Everybody had really stocked up on fireworks. Yeah. Then uh, on the way back, the car got stuck and we had to walk home in a blizzard, but that's another story. <laughs> and it's been a difficult century, but... <laughs> but the la that, 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 We're getting uh, derailed here. Yeah. Well, the previous thousand years weren't of that great either <laughs> so pessimistic uh, uh but yeah this this i mean here we have a gigantic continent uh with way better uh a way better climate partly than than in iceland and within reachable uh distances so mm -hmm. that's that could have been a uh Definitely, if you had the push factor of people leaving Iceland due to being on the losing end of a religious war, this could have been a bit of an exodus. Exactly, because there is the obvious pull factor of North America. It, compared to Greenland or Iceland, it had warm winters. It had a lot of lumber, which they were sorely lacking and they liked. They said that they could keep their animals outside in winter. You could get drunk from eating grapes, which may or may not be true. Bad grapes. Yeah, but in a good way. Uh, apparently I heard that in, in Sweden, elks do that a lot. They, they eat fermented grapes and then they get drunk and then they start to hump your Volvo. And, and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, it, it takes a drunk elk to see the beauty of a Volvo. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, it was a German called Tirkir who actually got drunk from eating grapes. But anyway, there, there, are, there are all these um, pull factors, but what was lacking from the actual history is the push factor. That At that time, uh, white things weren't expanding so much anymore. There was just no big reason to go that far. And there were uh, problems with the natives, which we'll get to. But, but with thousands and even tens of thousands of people being essentially driven out of Iceland and probably being murdered if they go back, then we would have all the reason in the world to head westwards. That makes sense. And what if they would have stayed? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, okay, well, now we've pondered uh, what would have happened if civil war broke out in Iceland, but it, but it didn't. But uh, nonetheless, Icelanders found Greenland and started the colony there. And eventually somebody drifted, of course, and uh, like usually, and North America was found. So, Valor, tell me more about that. Yeah, there are two basic accounts. There's the saga of the Greenlanders and the saga of Eric the Red, uh, who don't agree on everything, but they agree on, on the basic things. And according to one of them, uh, there was a merchant called Bjarni Herjolsson, who was sailing from 
Iceland to Greenland, but drifted off course and did uh, discover a new country, continent, but I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I once, like in sixth grade, I got, I, I, I said, um, the question was on a history lesson, uh, on a history exam, who found North America? And I said, Bjarni Herjolsson, and I, and I got wrong, a like wrong answer for that. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, you know, what constitutes discovering a country, because Leivur Eriksson gets all the credit. But he was, he was like the, the main man, so obviously he got the credit. But I feel like since it's in the source, I should have gotten the right answer there. Yeah, you sort of, if uh, Neil Armstrong hadn't stepped on the moon, but it just got back, would he still have been the first man on the moon? I I don't know. The, the point is that Bjarni Herjolsson, he never left the boat. He just sailed along the shore. All right, fine. And then he went back, and finally he found Greenland, which we had been looking for. And everyone sort of thought it was pretty lame. You, know, you found a new country, but you didn't go ashore. What you know? Where's your sense of adventure and exploration and all these Viking things that non-lethal Viking things that was we had? Pagan or Christian? Um, I don't really know. But Leiber Eriksson was Christian. His, according to one saga, he actually got the job from Olav Trekkersson Crowbone to Christianize the Greenlanders. Oh, I see. Um, and his father. Eric the Red was the chieftain of Greenland, and this seems to have gone pretty peacefully. Um, so, yeah, unlike unlike Iceland, actually, uh, Greenland has a medieval church or remnants of one. Yeah, uh, ours were wooden, so they all burnt down or were destroyed in an earthquake. Uh, Greenland, the one is, is as big as the ones in Iceland were, which is sort of amazing for a. a population that's small and the foundations of it still um exist there um so we'll have to go see it someday but anyway uh labor he uh, he buys Bjarni's boat and he decides to do the job properly so he sails off and goes the same route along the coast of what is now canada uh, first he finds a place called Hedleland, which is rocky, rocky land, sort of nothing there. Then he finds Markland, where things are growing, where you can get lumber. Yeah, Markland means woods, I guess. It, yeah, something like that. And um, then he goes finally to a place which he calls Vinland, because of the aforementioned uh, grapes that, that make you drunk. Yeah, that is, nobody really knows where that is, is that? Like, some people think it's Newfoundland, because they've found... Uh, they've excavated uh, a, a couple of houses there. Yeah. But uh, it, it might have been like all the way down to almost upstate New York. Yeah. It, it, the Hudson it, Valley or something like that. It does seem clear. And, and when uh, this place, Lanzo Meadows, was, was discovered in, uh, in Newfoundland in the 60s, they found the remains of his camp called Leibsbudir, Labor's Camp, uh, which proved that the sagas were right. Uh, so that was his base, it looks like. Uh, but how far he sailed, if he made it to New York, um, we don't know. In, um, in the 19th century, when the Scandinavians were busy, busy settling uh, the North Midwest, they were always finding rune stones, proving that the Vikings had sailed all the way to the Midwest. But it turns out that the rune stones were usually from last week, and they made them themselves to <laughs> prove that their ancestors had been there before. <laughs> But the Lancelot Meadows uh, settlement was real. I guess, I guess it says a little bit about the mid, about the living in the Midwest. You've got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why not? Why not uh, make a make, moonstone? Make a Viking heritage. Uh, actually, if you go through um, Minnesota these days, there's a lot of statues of Leif Eriksson. He's, he's big and he's got a big beard and he's got horns on his helmet, like you want a Viking to look like. Um, yeah, there's one like that in Winnipeg. Also, I think. Uh, or in Gimli. Yeah, there are. That's supposed to be labor, but yeah, they have, they have a big horn. Yeah, like, working, a, like, a, like a classic 19th century uh, sort of Victorian romantic idea of a Viking yeah. thing. We also have a statue of labor in Pride of Place in front of Hatskrimskirkja, which is the most photographed spot in Iceland. Yeah, that, that statue has a twin, I think, in Philadelphia. No, that's Thorfinnur Karlsevni, oh, but we'll Thorfinner. get to. Okay. No, we have a statue of labor. He is clean shaven. 
which he may not have been, but he was Christian, so we don't know. And he doesn't have horns on his helmet, but that statue is actually American. It was a gift from the people of America to the people of Iceland in 1930. Yeah, they give a good statue. Americans. <laughs> yes, that they do at least. They do. Let's not talk about the French statue down on Cyprus. Uh, no. Um, and unwhiting related. Yeah, but we'll, we'll uh, get the statue again later. So, um, yeah, he, uh, he stays in, in Winland um, for summer at least, like his father who decided to call Greenland Greenland because he wanted to get people to move there. If you live in somewhere called Iceland, then going to somewhere called Greenland sounds nice. But he had his father's knack for marketing, so he calls it Vinland because what's better than you know a land of wine? Um, but he actually never does go back. But uh, some people do. His brother Thorvaldur... He goes, and I think this is the first encounter, not just between North Americans and Europeans, but the first encounter between, you think of, you know, human beings coming into being in Africa, and then they split into two parts. One goes to Europe, the other to Asia, and then they go around the world, and then they meet again. So they finally complete the circle. They finally complete the circle. And what does Thorvaldur, Weber's brother, do? Celebrate this? Well... He starts murdering because that's what Vikings do when encountering the unknown. And does he live to tell the tale? Uh, no, he does not. He actually gets his just desserts. He meets nine natives. He uh, captures eight of them, then has them killed for no apparent reason. But the ninth one uh, escapes and he comes back with his tribe. And, and this is probably the first um, Viking versus canoe battle in history. Uh, longship versus, versus canoe. Okay. And Thorvald did get shot under the armpit with an arrow and he dies and is buried in North America. Oh, so the first uh, Viking burial in North America. Yeah. A place called Krosnesur because the place the cross there because he was Christian. Um, so that's Leiver's brother. Um, on the way back home, Leiver actually found a, a shipwrecked crew um, on a small scary. He saves them. One of the people on board is called Gudrir, who's known for her beauty and intelligence. Uh, I believe it was a Norwegian trader called Thorfinner Kalsebne comes along. Kalsebne means worthy man, so he's, you know, he's... A manly man? Yeah, he's a, a man she... On a Viking scale? Yeah, definitely someone she wants to marry. They... Uh, eventually go to to uh, Leifsbudir, to Leifur's camp, uh, and attempt to settle there. This is really the first attempt at settling. And because of this, we have a statue of Thorfinnur Kalsebni in Fairview Park, Philadelphia. Yeah, I've seen that thing. Yeah. I, I confused it with Leifur. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, they, they, they're both very clean-shaven, I think. So. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed very familiar having seen the Labour statue in Reykjavik. Yeah, but we, we also have a copy of it outside of um, Leverspiel, the cinema, the old folks. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, and um, uh, he, um, well, he does get some credit. Labour gets most of the credit, but he, he does get some credit there. For out of the two, I think Gudir is the more famous one, right? She, she sort of has, yeah. She's she's uh, sort of the, the, the most traveled uh, Icelander of, of of medieval times. Yeah, she, I think she went all the way to at least Rome. Yeah, she. Uh, they do have a child in North America who, who was the first European born in North America, which it's was Snorri. Snorri, exactly. Yeah. It was seen as a big deal. They uh, they attempt to trade with the natives. This goes well to begin with. There are mutual benefits, um, but. Due to what seems like a series of misunderstandings, um, they take to killing each other. While the Thorfinner says that the, they're not allowed to sell weapons because the Vikings have Iron Age weapons, which the, the natives don't. don't have. And someone tries to take an axe, that someone gets killed. And, and they were already wrecked the palisade, but they are attacked by numerous natives and they just decide that they cannot you know, hold out for forever um, now that they've pissed everyone off. Um, so they go back, not to Greenland, but to Iceland in the north, in Skarafjörður, 
where they um, build a farm, and there's a statue of Gudríður there. And after Thorfinnur dies, she goes on a pilgrimage south to Rome. So she's been one of the very few, probably the only person of her, her time who had been both to North America and to Rome. Uh, definitely. I mean, that's that's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah, not not. I, mean, I guess you 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 know, not only do you sail across the Atlantic, you have to walk across Europe. Yeah, <laughs> that's well done. It's not to be deterred. No. And there is one more uh, trip uh, that is accounted for um, to North America. To North America, which also has a, a famous um, woman, although she. Um, obviously a very strong woman, although um, maybe she gets a bad rap. Um, we don't know. She was actually um, Labour's sister, yeah. Freydis, who, uh, and both of them are, are in uh, Whiting's Valhalla, the TV show, doing lots of things they didn't. But uh, Freydis was certainly interesting. She uh, went with two ships to Leipzig, to the camp. And again, they get into trouble with the natives and there's this famous scene where natives are attacking and the waiting men are falling back and she's not impressed so she goes and grabs a sword and bares her breast and and places the breast on the sword and this freaks out the natives freaks out the natives who run away and thereby she uh, uh yeah she saves the men from from their cowardice and and probably their ultimate deaths yeah but I guess that's, and I guess after that they leave, and that's the... That's yeah, the but there is sort of a, a, a sad postscript, because of the two uh, crews, only her crew is allowed to stay in the camp, the others stay outside, and they build their own camp, and ultimately she um, she has the other crew murdered for, for reasons that are not completely clear, but apparently she wants to keep all the stuff that they've gathered there because people went to Vinland to gather food and, and berries and lumber and all these things. Um, so, yeah, she... And when uh, when all the men have been murdered, she tells them to kill the women too, and, and the men don't want to, so she goes and does it herself. And then they sail back to Greenland. I can see how the bad rap sort of... yeah. Yeah, if, if, if this is well, what actually happened, but this is what the stories of the sagas say anyway. So, yeah, so that's the sort of bloody ending of the, the Vikings in America. But what if they would have stayed? Yeah, what if? So uh, now we've covered sort of the uh what actually actually happened in north america with regards to the norse but uh now we should maybe combine our what if ideas what what if what if there had been a sort of a forced migration out of iceland and what if it hadn't been just a couple of boats going to perhaps newfoundland but thousands of people on multiple ships yeah what then valor yeah uh well, let's imagine that they knew about this, uh, that they had somehow heard the stories, uh, news did travel across yeah. the ocean. Yes, it indeed did. So they would probably have gone, maybe they would have gone the same route because Vikings always preferred to sail along coasts when possible. It was safer, even though they didn't know that it was quite a bit longer. So they would have sailed by Greenland, we don't know what the relationship with the Greenlanders would have been. We're talking about, you know, the, the last of the pagan Icelanders. Yeah. And they would have made their way along the shore to, to Leifsbúðir in Newfoundland, which uh, would have been their original destination. And, well, several things can happen, or, or at least two main scenarios. The, f the first is something close to what did happen. They would have come there in in greater numbers and as they did in previous cases they would have pissed off the natives somehow they would have found a way to do that because that's just that's just what happens yeah um that's what ha at least happened in the other cases we know of in north america 
Except now there are, instead of dozens, there are hundreds or even thousands uh, who set up camp. And uh, so it would have been a much tougher fight for the natives. We can imagine, well, on the one hand, we can imagine that the natives would eventually have won. Uh, and this would have been sort of a, a curiosity in history, the remains of a Viking fort and some big battle that we would have known very little about. Even this would maybe have been sort of interesting because with a, a major battle in Newfoundland, word of that could have spread around North America maybe. So, uh, you know, if, if you imagine when the Europeans came over, it was... It was really like an alien invasion. It was the end of the world for them in many ways. There were plagues and, you know, massacres and invasions, all that. But maybe some of them would have, if they would have known about this place over the sea, they would have possibly been somehow more prepared. They would have maybe learned to use iron weapons. It would have been more like Independence Day 2 than Independence Day 1 when they are <laughs> waiting for the aliens to come back. Yeah, I guess like, uh, like Newfoundland is pretty much the size of Iceland so it's about uh, just 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 over 100,000 square kilometers so i guess if it would have been a hostile takeover it would have still been a pretty tough takeover cuz uh, it's a it's a large place and it could have had un- quite many natives living there yeah uh, i don't know what the numbers were but i i guess it's very hard to tell but it it would have been a challenge but at least um you know, you could could imagine that uh, that would have at least been possibly achievable. Whereas, if they had landed on the continent proper, that might have not played out. Yeah. No, if we, if we imagine that that hostility would have reigned, then I think taking over Newfoundland would have been possible because the Whitings would sort of have been in their element. They would have been. Yeah, they're they're also like kind of. You know, they don't really have a choice of going back, maybe. No. Which might be a contributing factor to them actually hanging on more more exactly. fervently. Exactly. So when Thorfinnur and Gudrun, when they, ran, when they ran into trouble, they just went back home. Yeah, but, I mean, but, they, were, they were few in numbers, but they could go back because there was no... And Yeah, and here that's not an option. So And they had ships, and they would... Whereas the natives had canoes, they would have been able to circumnavigate the island. They probably would have been able to take it over and keep it safe. So That's a possibility. Yeah. So then we have kind of an interesting scenario. We have a Viking settlement in Newfoundland, more or less isolated from the continent. We could even imagine Viking raids taking place. At this time, the Viking Age is dying down in Europe, but it sort of springs yeah, to life again in North America. raided the, the continent proper. Yeah. Then, like, if you think about it, like, uh, the English started fishing outside Newfoundland as early as what the, like, do they, like, it's almost at the turn of the, like, just in the 15th century? Yeah, 15th century? Prob- probably they went as far. It was called, in fact, the English century in Icelandic history because they were all over the place. They were sailing around Iceland and they were fishing cod. There is even a theory that the Greenland settlement, which uh, disappeared at this time. Might have been... On the wrong end of a rate, yeah. The, the, maybe the English took them as slaves or something. Um, yeah, we do know that the Greenland settlement died out this time, and it was getting colder too, so things were getting worse there. But if Whitings would have established themselves in North America, there's just you know much more there to live off of. So they, yeah, I mean the 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 climate there is much more hospitable than in Greenland. In yeah, the, in the the 14th century, for example. Yeah, or in 15th. So this. Uh, it's also like if it's also a, a thing that I learned in Gothenburg again that um, in the I think 12th 13th centuries so like it, it was not unheard of that ships sailed from Bergen in Norway and straight to Greenland without stopping in Iceland so they were able to navigate without land back in those days and uh in longitude terms, I think the South uh, Peninsula of uh, Greenland, which I can't remember the name of now, is kind of parallel to Bergen, mm. which means that uh, it sounds like conceivable that there could have been traffic between Newfoundland and then back to to Norway at that point. Yeah, we we don't know what the 
foreign policy of, of awaiting Newfoundland would have been. We do know today, though, that um, if you sail directly from Greenland to Newfoundland, it's half the length that it is to go around the coast. And people in Greenland actually went to Canada as late as 1347 to get lumber. But yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But this took them six weeks. So that's most of the summer when they have all the stuff to do before winter. Because they didn't go directly. Yeah, but if they would have gone directly, and if you imagine with more traffic, they would have discovered this. Eventually, been, yeah, they would have figured that one out. So we maybe the pagans, keeping to their ways, would have isolated themselves completely from the outside world, or maybe they would have sort of started trading with the Greenlanders, although they certainly had a lot to give to the Greenlanders because they had lumber and stuff. Greenlanders maybe didn't have so much to do in, in turn. Greenland's major exports were walrus teeth, which were prized for, you could make chess pieces out of them and all sorts of things. Yeah, also double as unicorns. Yeah, Unicorn teeth, uh, sell them uh, horns. Or narwhal horns. And, and, uh, but there, I guess if, if, you, if you imagine like a colony in, in Newfoundland, they would have benefited from, like they would have probably traded with the continent proper, North America. Yeah, well, we're we're, st- we're 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 still thinking in terms of uh, of hostility with the natives. Oh yeah, we're still in hostilities. Yeah, but uh, uh, like we haven't like brought that to a close. No, but there, I mean, but there but, been... but yeah, but if, if they would have taken over, they probably wouldn't have been in a state of war forever. So eventually, they probably would have started. So so what are we talking about? We're talking about the sort of the Netherlands of North America, where they're trading <laughs> in every direction. Yeah, I mean, but the I guess the other option is like to go like. A, Somebody said, like, better to jaw jaw than to war war. I guess they might have peacefully uh, come to an agreement with the natives and had some sort of cooperation going on on yeah. Newfoundland. And this would have been the best way for them to survive and certainly to prosper if they would have managed to do this, especially early on. Um, we know that uh, in Greenland they did not. There may have been some trading with the the Inuit, but they kept their distance. And in fact, the Norse refused to learn from the Inuit, who were much more adaptable to the cold. But the the Greenlanders kept their European fashions, and that's probably one of the reasons why they died out. But yeah, you gotta adapt. <laughs> you gotta adapt, and uh, the Vikings actually usually did this when they were among more numerous people, like when they went to Slavic lands was now Ukraine and Russia, they became Slavicized within a few generations. In, in Normandy, they became French within a few generations. So you, you could imagine like, uh, I don't know, like uh, a native North American outfit and a Viking sword? Yeah, that's one possibility that there is actually a story by uh, Cecilia Holland, who's a writer in, in a book called More What If Compendium, where um, there is this Viking Mohawk Commonwealth. They have a sort of parliament like Althingi in Iceland. And he says that the Mohawks, they were sort of more similar to the Vikings, so so they would have joined up. And and you know, the difference here is that the Norse in Greenland were Christians, and Christians they don't like to adapt too much to the native population. Yeah, but maybe they, maybe the pagans would have. Yeah, I because mean, they usually uh, did. The little I've read about the sort of political life of uh, natives in 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 and around uh, Montreal back in the 18th and 17th centuries is that they they were they very much resolved their issues by talking them out mm-hmm. and and held meetings to do so. So they had uh, uh, their political system was based. At least in that part, during that time, more on conflict resolution through through negotiations than than through uh, force. Yeah, so that that sounds plausible to me. But there's another element which is, I mean, part of the uh, the devastation of of the Americas in the 16th century has to do with them not only being hit by uh, bloodthirsty money uh, gold seeking Spaniards, but also with the whole flora of of European disease, mm-hmm. which at that time included like smallpox, it probably probably plague even I don't know, but a lot of different things. Although at least the Europeans got some uh, some STDs out of it too, uh, syphilis I think. Mm. But in the 11th century, one wonders whether or not 
uh, like a smaller contact like this and an earlier contact and a more gradual contact would not maybe perhaps have led to the same uh, level of devastation mm -hmm. amongst the populations of North America. They maybe would have, um, they would have been in contact, mm -hmm. uh, but they would have would still be living in their like old ways. So there wouldn't be like a cultural element mm -hmm. along with a a uh, you know plague and no, not plague, but smallpox and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe they would have actually gotten immunity for a lot of things over a longer period of time than they did eventually. And maybe the native population would have actually fared better than it did then during the 16th century. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they couldn't have fared a lot worse, so... No, I guess the, the, <laughs> the numbers that people are estimating there are like, are incredibly dark. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, 70%, 80%, 90% mortality or something ridiculous. Yeah. So it would have maybe been better uh, in a sense. Yeah. It's hard to see how it couldn't have been better. Yes, they may have become somewhat more immune with more with a smaller initial contact and more gradual contact than, than the... the the devastation that they suffered, they would also have become more aware of Europeans sooner. How this would have impacted, uh, you know, the natives of America, we we do not know. There were the Iroquois tribes and Hiawatha formed together into this very strong alliance for a while, and so maybe this could have led to, uh, you know, a, some sort of, a, you know, American, you know, Native American. Nationhood, you know, of, of confederation of tribes would have been gathered, or they would have, uh, you know, uh, mixed with the Vikings and then come together. And, and uh, it's hard to predict how this no, would. It's have... very, it's very hard to tell. It, it's obviously a hypothetical, but uh, no, one wonders if, if, if like a more gradual um, introduction to to Europeans would have played out very differently, and and. It would have also been like more of Northern Europeans. You can see the English coming in a few hundred years later. Yeah. It would have been like colonization, if there had been a colonization of North America, which there probably would have been. There was such a huge push factor out of Europe later on. But maybe uh, maybe the Spaniards wouldn't have gotten there first. Maybe it would have actually started in North America, but not in Central and Southern America. Yeah, or more likely at the same time it was all happening in the, the 15th century. But you also wonder what, you know, if, if English and French colonizers would come into contact with the descendants of white kings or even a combination of white kings and, and Mohawks or natives, how that would have impacted how it was seen maybe they would have been less genocidal i don't know i mean yeah uh i mean in north america it was a very gradual process of, of yeah of you know uh i guess that manifest destiny thing happened over a long period of time where yeah, moved slowly westwards i'm not sure they would have really necessarily avoided that i don't know, I don't know. no but I think that the, the but I think that the mass sort of like death from from uh, all the European uh, diseases diseases sorry yeah the mass death from all the European diseases would have been less likely and that would have meant a different scenario altogether yeah and I, I think also you know the latest knowledge of this coming sooner and we shouldn't you know the the Vikings weren't always democratic. They, they, but they were very adaptable when, when uh, encountering larger numbers, and they could have happened here. So I think the basic point is that the the Norse and the natives would have had a lot to learn from each other. This could have been a very beneficial arrangement for both, but instead they they wound up killing each other, which is mostly the Vikings' fault. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, what would have happened to the Icelandic uh, sagas and and, uh, and our knowledge of our pagan past wouldn't have, that would have actually traveled all the way to Newfoundland or North America eventually and hadn't been written down in Iceland and wouldn't have the sagas. No. Uh, yeah, the, the, 
possibly they could have been written by some sort of Newfoundland Snorri, but they didn't actually have the alphabet. But assuming that they would have learned to write later from, you know, I don't know, English travelers or even Greenlandic ones, they, uh, yeah, maybe uh, Newfoundland would today be called the Saga Island, where the all of the stories of the Norwegian kings and the old gods were written down. Yeah, just like Iceland, but without the uh, volcanic eruptions and, yeah. and uh, geysers. And somewhat warmer winters. And somewhat warmer winters. I think. Well, that was it. Uh, thanks for joining us today. See you next time in episode three. When we will talk about what if Icelanders had died out because of a volcano. But that was a few hundred years later. Always a possibility. Still is. This podcast was produced by Sentry Freyr Stenson. The book, What If Vikings Had Conquered the World and Other Questions of Icelandic and Nordic History by Valur Gunnarsson is out now on Salka Publishing. Find it on salka.is or the Grapevine online store. This has been a Reykjavik Grapevine production. For news, events, culture and travel advice, head to grapevine.is.